The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So if you haven't already, you can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As we continue this morning, our series, a little brief series entitled Cultural Convictions, uh, trying to remind ourselves who we are at Shades Valley, why it is we do things the way that we do them. And over the years, we've basically developed four descriptors, four, four things that describe the convictions we have about the kind of culture we want to create in our midst here at Shades Valley. They are as follows, messy authenticity, spirit simplicity, three-stream unity, and member-led ministry. Now, so far, we have already covered the first two, which means for the rest of our time this morning, we are simply going to focus in on that third one and talk about what do we mean by this phrase, three-stream unity. Here's the deal. Before we get started, I have to chase a quick rabbit trail. I've got to chase a quick rabbit trail on behalf of all of you who have been a part of Shades for a while. So if you're new to Shades, this next part may make no sense. Just hang on. We'll come back in just a moment. But for those of you who've been here for a while, you know that when we talk about the streams throughout the years, we've talked about four streams and we've talked about four stream unity. And those are four streams. This is language we use to describe four streams of Christian tradition, uh, namely evangelical, liturgical, charismatic, and Orthodox. So as soon as I say we're going to talk about three-stream unity, you may be asking yourself, why are we changing from four to three? Who's getting the boot? Um, to put it succinctly, uh, you can come up and talk to me about this later if you want to know more, but to put it succinctly, the purpose of language, any language we craft or create to describe the culture we want to have at Shades, the purpose of that language is to communicate. And through the years, the language of four streams has done a good job of communicating a lot about what we mean to, uh, about, about our identity that we want to have here as Shades Valley Community Church. But some of the four streams language, we've noticed, has also caused confusion. So here's what we, and when I say we, I mean the pastoral staff, myself, Brad, and John Mark. Here's what we began to do over the course of the last year. We started to have conversations with many of you and with a lot of our leadership. And we would ask this, we would say, can you name the four streams? Can you describe them? Can you point out worship practices that we actually do here at Shades that come? Tell us which stream each of those worship practices come from. And here's the deal, everybody we talked to, they could do that with three out of four consistently. They could do it with the evangelical, the liturgical, and the charismatic. But anytime we began to talk about the orthodox stream, there was a lot of confusion. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I can share all those with you later if you would like, but just to share one with you, the primary reason is that because the orthodox stream and the liturgical stream have a lot of overlap. A lot of over, from their emphasis on church history and historical practices to their em emphasis on uh, church seasons and the church calendar. There's a lot of overlap. And so when we would use both of those streams, it would, it would almost just sound like we were repeating ourselves over and over and over again. So what we decided to do was not to get rid of the orthodox stream. We're not giving it the boot. We're simply subsuming it underneath liturgical. We think this simplifies the language 
that we use to describe shades. We think it eliminates confusion and it helps to communicate more clearly. So, rabbit trail over. For the rest of this morning, we're going to talk about our conviction at Shades Valley that we want to have a culture of three-stream unity. And for all of those who are new here and you're like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about right now, Jonathan. All of this stream language is rather confusing to me. Hang on. I'm going to try and unpack for you what we mean by all of this. So to get us started, uh, imagine, if you will, imagine that you grew up with a stream, like a literal running, babbling brook stream in your backyard. If you grew up with that there, playing in it all the time, you would probably know that stream pretty well. You know what the water felt like, what its average temperature was, how the current flowed. You know where the best swimming holes were. You would know where to step. No matter how murky the water, you would know where to step when wading through it because it would be your stream. Now imagine that you come over to my house and I have a stream in my backyard and we go out there to play, but it doesn't, the water does not feel quite right to you. Temperature's different. Current's a little bit stronger. You have no clue where to step, so you're slipping and falling all over the place. You're just not comfortable because you're in somebody else's stream. This is kind of what it's like worshiping together as believers in Jesus. Because within Christianity... We talk about there being various streams. We're going to talk about three great streams of Christian tradition. And they all approach worship a little differently. And you're used to the stream that you've been in the longest. And when you go to a church that approaches worship from a different stream, it feels a little weird. A little strange. Not quite used to it. Water temperature's different. Currents, you feel like you're slipping and falling all over the place. It's because there are these three great streams of Christian tradition. Now, when I say three streams of Christian tradition, I'm not talking about three denominations. Clearly, there are a lot more denominations than that. But no matter what denomination you have found yourself to be a part of throughout your life, all denominations fall into, approach worship in the way that one of these streams do. As I mentioned, all of these streams, they got a pretty distinct way of approaching worship. Let me name the three streams for you again in case you've already forgotten. They are the evangelical stream, the liturgical stream, and the charismatic stream. And you're probably really comfortable with the flow of worship in your stream, but everybody else's feels weird. And perhaps, perhaps especially if you're newer to Shades or if you can remember when you first, if you've been here for a while, if you can remember when you first came to Shades, perhaps in your time at Shades, you have found yourself a little confused because as you gather together to worship with us on Sunday, you have found there are things in the worship that make you feel right at home. Things that are familiar, comfortable. Those are elements of worship that come from your stream. They're like rocks, stepping stones in the service that you know how to step on without slipping. But then there are other things seem to come out of left field to you. What is that? What's going on? Where did it come from? Think, things that feel a little out of place or unfamiliar. Those are slippery rocks to you from other streams. The reason that you would feel this way here at Shades is because we intentionally 
embrace all three of these streams. Not just one, not just two. We intentionally embrace all three. And the reason is because there came a time in our history where we recognized that the Lord was bringing us people from all three of these streams. This is the makeup of our body. And rather than downplay or mute that diversity, the decision was made to embrace it. Namely, the decision was made to embrace it because here at Shades, we believe that in our diversity is the very place we find unity. Let me say that again. We have the conviction here at Shades that it is in our three-stream diversity that we find three-stream unity. In our diversity is where we find unity. How so? It's because... Our diversity here at Shades forces us to practice Philippians 2. You remember Philippians 2 that tells us to humble ourselves towards one another in the way that Christ has humbled himself? Humble yourselves, counting others as more significant than yourself. The three streams forces us to do that because when we come together to worship and I encounter stuff from your stream, worship practices that that I think are strange, I have to humble myself, count the other more significant than myself, and recognize that those worship practices are the very way that others connect most deeply with Christ. If I'll do that, then perhaps I will even learn from that. As I watch my brothers and sisters through these practices I don't understand or aren't familiar to me, as I watch them connect with Christ, I myself will be pointed to Christ. And thus we are all being drawn closer to him. Do you see how that works? They're being drawn closer to Christ. They're pointing me to Christ. And so we are all being drawn closer to him and thus closer to one another. Thus our diversity is the very place where we can find unity. True unity, Shades, is not getting everybody else to be the exact same as me. That's uniformity, not unity. And here we are not after me-centered uniformity where everybody's got to embrace and like things the exact same way that I like. We're not after me-centered uniformity. We want Christ-centered unity. And our diversity is precisely the place where we have potential to find it. I think, I think that we see this clearly in Scripture. That's why I've got you in 1 Corinthians. Let's see if we can't see three-stream unity in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Let's begin reading together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Schisma is the Greek word. We get our word schism from there. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, having the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you. Chloe's people be snitches. I often wonder how the Corinthians responded if they like got a hold of Chloe's people. Like, seriously, y'all? Really? Anyway, Chloe's people says that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, a great Christian orator, preacher. Or I follow Cephas, that's the apostle Peter. Or I follow Christ. 
So here's what you've got to know about the ancient city of Corinth. It was an incredibly diverse place. It was, it was a metropolitan city. It's located, if you look at the map of Greece, it's right at the bottom of the mainland of Greece on this little bitty stretch of land that connects that mainland to the Peloponnesian Peninsula, ocean crowding in on both sides. So it is a land bridge with two different oceans right up next to it. I mean, this was a massive center point of trade in the ancient world. And as a result, it became an incredibly diverse city in every way imaginable. It was socially diverse, ethnically, religiously, morally. So when Christianity came to town, you had people becoming believers from every background possible. And it resulted in a local church that was wild. I mean, just read Paul's letters. This place was a little bit crazy. And so right here, at the opening of Paul's first letter, 1 Corinthians, we get exactly what we would expect in such a diverse church. We get just a little bit of division going on. Schisma. There's actually, this is really interesting to me, there's actually three places in this letter that Paul talks about the division that's going on amongst the Corinthian church. Three places he uses that word, schisma. It's in chapter 1, chapter 11, and chapter 12. And it is always in connection with something concerning the Corinthians' worship. Like when they gather together to worship Jesus, the very thing that should be uniting them, Paul points out three things that are dividing them. Here in chapter 1, he talks about proclamation, which we would connect to the evangelical stream. Chapter 11, he talks about the table, which we would connect to the liturgical stream. Chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts, which we would connect to the charismatic stream. Do you, do you see what's happening right here? In the very place that the Corinthians should have been united by worship of Christ, they were being divided by their diversity. And so what Paul aims to do is to show them how the, the things that are dividing them are the very things that should be uniting them. Their worship should unite them by keeping them all centered on Christ. But the Corinthians are using it to center on themselves. That's what we see right here in chapter 1 as Paul talks about proclamation. The Corinthians were divided over proclamation. Look at verse 12 again. What I mean is that each one of you says this, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. In, in the wider Corinthian culture at, at large, you could gain a lot of social capital and respect by attaching yourselves to popular philosophers, orators, traveling teachers, basically ancient influencers, if you will. And it's a good thing we don't do this anymore, right? Try to gain like social capital and clout by attaching ourselves to particular influencers or what have not. And what the Corinthians did was they brought this cultural practice right over into the church. The Corinthian Christians saw themselves as gaining more clout by being a follower of Paul or the great preacher Apollos or the chief apostle Peter. Or maybe today they would say, I follow Tim Keller, or I follow Beth Moore, Jackie Hill Perry, H.B. Charles. Like, we still do this. We still make the proclamation of the gospel about ourselves. 
instead of about Christ. The Corinthians were using which proclaimer they followed to divide themselves. But Paul says it's not, this whole thing, it's not about the proclaimer. It's about gospel proclamation. And that should unite us. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. All these things that the Corinthian culture at large does, attaching themselves to great speakers and orders, Paul says, I didn't come doing any of that. Because this thing among us is not about being attached to a popular or powerful proclaimer. No. Paul says in verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That which looks foolish and powerless to the world, I promoted that message. It wasn't about the messenger, it was about that message. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, when I came to you, there was nothing impressive about me so that you would not think the powerful result of the gospel had anything to do with me. It was just the gospel. That's what was powerful. I want your faith there. Not in me, not in Apollos, not in Peter. Paul says this isn't about following a powerful preacher. It's about clinging to a powerful gospel. In worship, when we worship, when we gather together, proclamation, Corinthians, Shades, proclamation should not divide you, but unite you by keeping you centered on Christ. So, at Shades, this is what we aim to do by embracing the evangelical stream. The evangelical stream emphasizes the proclamation of the gospel. The evangelical stream emphasizes the proclamation of the gospel. Let me describe this stream to you. If you grew up in the evangelical stream, you would know it because the pulpit was probably the largest piece of furniture in the room and dead center. This is the stream that I grew up in. Love a good big pulpit. And this, this wasn't done by mistake. It was meant to emphasize the centrality of the proclaimed word. Here it shades. We embrace the evangelical stream primarily, there are different ways, but primarily through the way we approach preaching this word. You hear me say this all the time. We practice expository preaching. This series is a little bit different as we take a break, but we practice normally expository preaching. You can hear the word expose in that. Expository preaching is preaching that is centered on the word, not on just random topics where I try to promote to you my current preacher life hacks for here's five new ways to manage your finances or what like love your coworkers well or whatever. Not that none of that's important. It's just not my job. Expository preaching focuses on this word and it aims to expose not what I think but what this word says. I want to communicate it to you in its original context. I want us to understand what God is communicating through his word and then apply that to our modern context. And I don't just want to tell it to you. I want to show it to you. This is why I always tell you, open your Bible. This is why I'm always saying, look at verse, look at verse, look at verse. I don't just want to tell you. I want to show you. I want it to be exposed because the authority, any authority of anything that I say up here doesn't rest in me. It rests in the word. 
And so if I can't show it to you there, it carries no authority whatsoever. I want you to, to see it. It shades. We practice expository preaching because preaching is not about the preacher. It's about the one being preached, Jesus. That's actually why, because preaching is about Jesus at Shades, that's actually why we have made the decision, not saying other churches that do it differently are wrong, not at all. I've told you again and again, we just got to do, every church needs to do what they do intentionally and know why they do what they do. But because Jesus is at the center of our preaching, that is why we have chosen not to put our pulpit at the center of the room. Because nobody gets center stage here except for Jesus. And at the center of our room are the symbols that most clearly represent his presence among us. The table, his body broken, blood poured out, and the cross. Any preacher stands to the side as a pointer, hopefully pointing all of us to Christ. Jesus gets center stage here, not Jonathan or any other preacher. Preaching is about him. It's not about my preferred preacher. It's not about my preferred preaching style. Like, man, if everybody could just agree with the kind of preaching I like to listen to, then we could get some real unity up in this place. No, that's not Christ-centered unity. That is me-centered uniformity. That's using our diversity to divide us instead of as an opportunity for unity. Shades, when it comes to proclamation, when proclamation keeps Christ at the center, that unites us by drawing us all closer to him. We seek unity here amongst, in the midst of our diversity, we seek unity by embracing the evangelical stream, centering our proclamation on Jesus. But proclamation isn't the only thing in worship. It's not the only part of our worship together that has potential for division. Ironically, division can also happen amidst celebration. Celebration. That's the very next thing that we see. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Begin reading with me in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18. Paul says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, you're coming together to worship. You come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Schisma. Second time Paul uses that word. And I believe it in part, probably because of Chloe's people again, I'm guessing. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Often in the early church culture, when they came together and gathered for worship, they would share a common meal. And as part of this common meal, they would celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. And this meal, the Eucharist, is meant to be a celebration of the gospel. We remember Christ's body broken, his blood poured out. And we are celebrating the fact that that unites us to Christ, gives us true life to Christ, and we celebrate it together. 
Because as each of us are united in Christ individually, we come together and are united to one another as a body. This meal is about celebrating the gospel, but the Corinthians we see right here were using it to celebrate themselves. Once again, in wider Corinthian culture, uh, dinner parties were used as an opportunity to highlight one's social status. Uh, the, the rich would all eat together. Any poor servants would have to eat separately in another room. But even the rich, even the way they sat themselves at the table could emphasize social status. Or what food you had and what drink you had could emphasize your You know, if you got that uh, $100 bottle or you got that $1,000 bottle or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about right here. I've never paid that much for any bottle of anything. Um, but they, they could use it as a way of distinguishing who was best uh, among them. And the Corinthian Christians brought this practice straight over into the church. Instead of using communion as an opportunity to celebrate the gospel that had brought them all together, they used it as an opportunity to separate and celebrate themselves to celebrate their own social status instead of celebrating their kingdom status as one people, all equally connected to, to Christ. And so Paul declares to them and to us, the Lord's Supper, it should not be a source for division, for celebrating ourselves. It should be a celebration centered on Christ that should unite Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 17. Because there is one bread, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Paul says there's one bread. In other words, he's saying there's one Christ. Because we are all connected to that one same Christ, we are all connected one to another in one body of believers, one congregation, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. One family of faith. In worship, celebration of the gospel should not divide you, but unite you by keeping Christ at the center. And it shades, this is what we aim to do through our celebration. We do it by embracing the liturgical stream. By embracing the liturgical stream. The liturgical stream emphasizes the celebration of the gospel. The liturgical stream emphasizes the celebration of the gospel. I'll try and describe this stream to you a little bit. If you grew up in the liturgical stream, then the table was likely the largest piece of furniture in the room and dead center. And again, that's not by mistake. Uh, it was meant to emphasize the participation of the congregation in celebrating the gospel. The liturgical stream, the word liturgy literally means work of the people, or we could say participation of the people. Thus, the liturgical stream has embraced all sorts of worship practices, usually historic worship practices, uh, that involve everybody that gets everybody participating. They, they, they embrace historical practices because they not only want us participating with one another, but with the church historic throughout time. So various liturgical practices that you'll find at, 
at a, a, a liturgical worship service are things like corporate readings. We all read something. Or corporate prayers, we all pray something together. Or uh, you'll find an emphasis on the church calendar, historic seasons of the church that we all walk through together, seasons like Lent or like Advent. But the high point of any liturgical worship service, the high point of participation is weekly celebration of communion. And it shades, this is the primary way that we embrace the liturgical stream. Some of you don't come from the stream. You're like, why do we take communion every week? I grew up in a, in a tradition where we did it like once a quarter. This is one. This is a practice that we've adopted from the liturgical stream. Sure, there are other things we could talk about in our worship service that come from the liturgical stream. We observe the seasons of Lent. We observe the season of Advent. Or we could talk about uh, the historic practice we did earlier of passing the peace with one another. Or of all saying together after the reading of Scripture, thanks be to God. Or later in the service, we'll have a benediction. These are all liturgical things. But the table is our liturgical anchor. And it anchors us in the gospel. It anchors me in the gospel. Every week, my sermon has got to end here. If I cannot organically connect my sermon to the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus, something is wrong with my sermon. It doesn't just keep me anchored to the gospel. It keeps us anchored to the gospel. Because we come around this table week after week celebrating the gospel. Broken body and spilt blood of Jesus for us. We eat the same bread, drink of the same cup, confessing that we are all connected to Christ and thus connected with one another. Amidst our diversity, this table provides an opportunity, not for me-centered uniformity, but for Christ-centered unity. Do you see this, Shades? When, when celebration is centered on Christ, it unites us by drawing us all closer to him. At Shades, we seek unity amidst our diversity by embracing the liturgical stream, centering our celebration on Jesus. But there is one more part of worship that we see in 1 Corinthians has potential for division. Not just proclamation, not just celebration, but also demonstration. Division can happen amidst demonstration. Flip over one chapter to 1 Corinthians 12 for me to show you what I mean. 1 Corinthians 12, look all the way down at verse 24, at the latter half of verse 24. We read Paul writing this. But God has so composed the body, that's the congregation, the body of Christ. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there may be no division. Schisma. Last time Paul used it. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Right here in 1 Corinthians 12, we encounter the division amongst the Corinthians that they are probably most famous for. If you read the whole chapter, we see that they are divided over spiritual gifts. All of chapter 12, in fact, also chapter 13 and chapter 14, all of those chapters are about how the Holy Spirit empowers each one of us as believers in different ways, a whole host of different ways 
so that we may bear witness to Jesus in different ways. You can see that if you just read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the purpose of the Spirit's empowerment of us is that each of us may bear witness to Christ and who he is. We're all gifted by the Spirit in different ways. And what the Corinthians were doing is they were making these spiritual gifts about themselves. Certain gifts were seen as super spiritual, made you like next level Christian. Good thing we don't do that anymore. I don't care if you're a part of a charismatic church or not. We all do this. We do it most often with preachers and teachers. Oh, they're gifted at preaching and teaching. They must be next level Christian. Don't you believe it? Not for a second. I know these people. I am one of these people. <laughs> next level. But they were taking these spiritual gifts and they were making them about themselves. Paul says that's not the purpose of spiritual gifts at all. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit shows himself in your life and through you each in a different way. To each is given a manifestation, or we could say a demonstration, of the Spirit's power. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. For what reason? For the common good. Shades that Paul says the Spirit demonstrates his power through each of us in a way that is not about us. Spiritual gifts don't put us on display. They put him on display. He calls it a manifestation of the Spirit. It's putting him, his power on display. And for what purpose? For the common good. All throughout this chapter, Paul uses the metaphor of a body to explain this. He talks about how a body's made up of all sorts of different parts. Eyes, feet, hands, all these things. And if one part tries to elevate itself above all the others, it loses its purpose. It's the body with all its individual parts working together that chi achieves the overarching purpose, the common good of the whole. And it's the same with the body of Christ. The Spirit empowers each of us uniquely in different ways. Because you need me to point you to Jesus, and I need you to point me to Jesus. Each in the ways that the Spirit manifests himself in our individual lives. In other words, Paul is saying the demonstration of the Spirit's power in worship should not divide you, but should unite you by keeping Christ at the center. You're Spirit working through you is not about elevating you. It's about you elevating Christ. And if we are all doing that before one another, keeping Christ at the center, we're being drawn closer together. We're being united. Shades, we aim to do this here through the charismatic stream. Charismatic stream. The charismatic stream emphasizes the demonstration of the power of the gospel. The charismatic stream emphasizes the demonstration of the power of the gospel. It, it emphasizes how the Spirit works freely in a whole variety of ways through the people in the body to bear witness to, to the power of the gospel of God. So here at Shades, we try to make space for that freedom, for the Spirit to work through the body in a variety of ways. Uh, there's simple ways here at Shades. As we worship together, you have freedom to stand. Or sit. Weirds a lot of people out. They're like, not everybody's always standing at the same time. And 
Some people are sitting. Sometimes, well, yeah, that's fine. Sometimes you need to sit. Sometimes you need to stand. Sometimes you need to wave a flag. I, you may not have noticed, and this really freaks out all the newbies, but, uh, but there are flags here at Shades. They're right there by Matt Theus on the back wall. There's flags right there. And they're available to be used in worship. That comes to us out of the charismatic stream. And it comes from Scripture. Flags or banners, as they're more commonly called in Scripture, banners were used by God's people in worship to symbolize different truths. And our flags symbolize different truths about Christ. There's a, there's a little placard right beside the flags back there where you can go and read what each of the different colors symbolizes. Side note, over the years, the flags have become an incredible way that our kids participate in worship. They're not just for kids, but it has become an awesome way that they participate. But these are all elements of the charismatic stream in our midst, but probably the largest representation of the charismatic stream. Probably the largest representation of this stream in our sanctuary, I would say, is this microphone, which is only there when I'm up here. The rest of the time, it's, it's right here. A microphone is always here, and it's always open. Why? As a reminder to us that the Spirit is at work in our midst freely, and He can lead anyone in our body to point us to Jesus. Anyone in our body can come up and bear witness to Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit, they can... They can pray over our body. They can share a word of encouragement with the body. They can share a testimony about what God is doing in their lives. If, if the Spirit ever prompts you to bear witness to Jesus before this body, all you got to do is come find me, find, Brett, find one of the pastors, one of the elders, and we will find a spot in the midst of worship for the manifestation of the Spirit and the power of the gospel to be put on display through, through you. Not for your own glory. That's not what this microphone is about. That's not what being expressive in worship is about or being reserved in worship or using flags in worship. That's not what the Holy Spirit is about. Not our own glory. No, all of this demonstration of the Spirit working through the people of God is to bear witness to the gospel, to keep us centered on Christ. Shades, when that happens, when demonstration keeps Christ at the center, that unites us. By drawing us all closer to him. This is why, to sum up Shades, this is why we embrace all three streams here at Shades. Evangelical, liturgical, charismatic. We embrace these three streams to keep us away from me-centered uniformity and to draw us into Christ-centered unity. These three streams are ways that make us model Christ, humble ourselves, consider the needs of others more important than our own. These three streams are ways that we learn more of Christ as we see others engage in worship. They point us to, to Jesus. We, we believe we actually need our diversity for that to be accomplished. We believe we would actually be less without one another. I need the other streams in my life. Otherwise, I'm going to be missing out on all sorts of ways that my brothers and sisters could be pointing me to Christ. Shades, we believe that our diversity is not something that should divide us, but it is the very thing that provides the opportunity for true unity. Three-stream unity. 
throughout the years, we've tried to come up with a summary definition of this. You can read it on our website, but I just want to close this morning by reading it to you. Here's what we say. Three stream unity. Our body is made up of three diverse streams of Christian tradition, evangelical, liturgical, and charismatic. We believe this diversity is a good thing, and we would actually be less without one another. For such diversity keeps us humbling ourselves before one another as we learn from each other and point one another to Christ who is our unity. Christ-centered unity is the goal, not me-centered, comfortable uniformity. You're invited this morning to step into this, to step into these three streams that flow together here at Shades Valley. And I know, I know, it may feel uncomfortable. Trust me. It used to feel really uncomfortable to me. Now, it's just sometimes I feel uncomfortable. But we don't offer comfort here. We offer Christ And I promise you, I promise you that all three of these streams will point you to him. So you're invited to come on in. Water's fine. Let me pray. Father, I I thank you for my brothers and sisters that you have brought together in this place from such a diverse array of backgrounds. I thank you for the ways throughout the years that they have stretched me, made me grow, and made me see more of you and who you are. I pray that that is who we would continue to be at the core of our identity. Diverse bunch of believers whose primary interest is pointing one another to you. I pray that any time our flesh would like to complain about those charismatics and their freedoms and charismatic songs dragging on too long or those liturgical rigid prayers or an evangelical approach to the word that leads us to spend who knows how many months in the gospel of John Lord I pray that any time our flesh stirs up complaints like that that you would convert those through compassion And give us eyes to see the three streams as an opportunity for unity. Give us eyes and hearts that are willing and want to learn from one another. We pray these things in your name and for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, that the world may see what unity looks like through the body.